listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich, And today I'm here with Megan Hess, who's the Mobile and Emerging Platforms Editor at Bloomberg LP. Hi, Megan. Hi. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm very excited to be here. So our show is called Coffee Break with New York Wiki. So we like to start talking about coffee. Full disclosure, we're actually drinking other beverages. <laughs> Cold beverages. Yeah, not alcoholic ones, but <laughs> coffee is a personal passion of mine. Oh, that's so. so good. Oh, good. Well, this is the perfect show. So what's your coffee drink of choice? What's your number one? So every morning, the first thing I think about is <laughs> I will have a hot cup of coffee with a small splash of half and half, no matter how hot it is out. And then in the afternoon, I'll usually have like an iced coffee, usually decaf, because I'm trying to be good and just have one cup a day. But I just love how it smells and tastes. So I'll still do a little decaf in the afternoon. Just two coffees a day? Yes. Okay. Max. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it used to be three, and I've kind of scaled it, scaled it back a little bit. Coffee is a passion. Like, I totally agree with you. I feel like. You know, I try to think in the mornings of things I'm look forward to in the day. The first thing is like oh. my cup of coffee. Oh, that's that's the first thing I think about. <laughs> and there's sometimes where like like this this weekend I was going to a yoga class and it was early, so I didn't have coffee beforehand. And afterwards, I was so excited <laughs> because I was like, now it's time for coffee. Gets you through yoga. Yes. Get you through anything. Yep. Get you through anything. And that's why this is kind of like our coffee break because I think the one thing we all have in common, even if you don't like to drink coffee, you just need that like feeling that taking a break mm-hmm. to have drink a cup of coffee or have a soda gives you. So this podcast is about casual conversations with compelling women. We are talking to women who work in communications for their career advice, their career experiences. So we want to start just by having you tell us some of the steps you've taken to get where you are now at Bloomberg. Sure. My internships were mostly at websites of magazines. I've interned at Seventeen.com, the website of Oprah's magazine, and that kind of made me realize that I wanted to work online. When I graduated from college, my first job, well, I freelanced at CNNMoney.com and interned at Huffington Post right after I graduated college because as any recent journalism graduate will tell you, it is not easy to get a job right after graduating. So I did that for the summer and then my first full-time job was at Scholastic where I had interned a few summers before. I became an editor there working for a parenting magazine doing their digital. From there, I kind of realized that I wanted to be somewhere that was really focused on digital only. I went to Mashable, which I was there for about three years, up until very recently. Uh, I started at Bloomberg about four months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And what exactly is your role here? What does the title mobile and emerging platforms editor mean. Actually mean. Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. get that a lot. Yeah, my parents have no idea what I do. <laughs> it's the um, best job. <laughs> <laughs> like, just trust me, I have a job. So I am primarily working on our mobile app, which you should all go and download. It's the Bloomberg Consumer app. We also have a professional app for terminal subscribers. But the Consumer app is the one that anyone can download. 
And I kind of work on it from a sense of um, packaging and distribution. So I look at stories after they've been published and figure out, okay, what do we want to package together? How do we want to present this on the app? What would the best user experience be? So I'm working really closely with our product teams and our developers to constantly kind of iterate better experiences for our, for our app. I also work on a few other platforms, Apple News, which is like Apple's native news products. I help build out some Bloomberg stories that go onto Apple News. And I also work on our newsletters. So I coordinate with a bunch of the different departments here. We have about, you know, at least five, I think more newsletters. So I'm kind of responsible for helping to grow those, figure out news, new newsletters that we want to launch and that sort of thing. And the last thing that I work on is push notifications on your phone, which goes along with our app. So coordinating some of our other editors about which stories we want to push to, the best strategies for that, what language we want to use, and that sort of thing. So this is a very unique job. Your parents know what you do, but probably a lot of people, not, it's not that they don't know what you do, they just don't even know. This is a new job. This is something oh, that like... didn't exist a few years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So is there anything you think you could have done to prepare for this, or is it really something that you just find? I kind of have two answers to that. One of them is I kind of identified the fact that I wanted to be working more on mobile and on the product side of things about maybe a little over a year ago. I realized that that was something that really interested me. It's kind of where I saw the future of the industry going, and I took steps to say, okay, I want to make myself viable in this way for these sorts of positions that are going to be opening up. So I took, I enrolled in a class at General Assembly. It was a coding class, which actually shout out to New York Wiki for, I got the membership empowerment grant to take that class. Awesome. On newyorkwiki.org, nywici.org, you can find the application to apply depending on there's different deadlines and you too can get the membership empowerment grant. Yeah, this apply. was actually an, an uncoordinated plug that we just did. <laughs> We're really on it. We're good. We're good. So I took this class, it was kind of an eight week class over the summer, it was very intensive. And the goal wasn't at the end to like be a proficient coder, it was more so I wanted to be able to communicate with developers, know what was possible, start thinking in these sorts of ways that would make me a more attractive candidate for a job when I had traditionally just worked in newsrooms, not really with any sort of product experience, just an interest in it. So I think that largely helped. You know, it is important to kind of identify like this X thing is cool and I want to actually work on it. Whether that means like bringing a proposal to your boss and saying we should be doing more of this and I'd like to take it on. Or whether that means finding people at other companies who have this, those sorts of jobs that you think are cool and just reaching out and meeting with them and hearing about what they do and how they got to where they are. It's such good advice. I mean, I think what's going to be happening and what is happening and has been for the last 10 years is like all these jobs are being created. Like any job I ever had did not exist, even when I graduated college, really. Mm -hmm. And so I think it changes the trajectory of like career goals because how many of career goals, I mean, you know, it's good to have goals, but if you don't know what the jobs are going to be, just like keeping an open mind. Because yeah. I think like particularly you had said, you know, you had interned at magazines many young women intern in magazines and they say my goal is to be a magazine editor-in-chief well like you know 
different things are happening in the magazine space. There are now digital editors, and it's just like keeping an open mind of what potentially you could do. I think that would really help people shape their careers. And I think one of the things that's implicit in that is, yeah, A, staying open, not having this like one-track mind about what you want to do, but also looking for the times where people on your team like don't know how to do something and have to go to another team or to someone else to like ask for help and saying like, okay, are those skills that I can learn and then be the person on this team who knows how to do that? That makes you that much more valuable. It's great advice. I think that's like how every original social media editor came to be because it was just like, oh, there's a thing called Facebook. I'm just going to figure out how to, like you have the tools to use it. You can become the expert and then you become so valuable. Totally. We all know that saying yes is important. We want to keep an open mind. That's something that so many of us have been taught in order to be successful. Another big lesson is that sometimes you just need to say no. And in particular, that's important when you're setting boundaries with your coworkers, with your boss. So what's the best way to say no and set boundaries without putting your job in jeopardy or insulting someone or kind of losing points in terms of people liking you? Yeah, I think there is kind of this separation between saying yes and saying no. One of them gets more important at different points in your career. So really early on in your career, saying yes is much more important. You don't ever want to say no. I mean, to an extent. One of the things that helped me get to where I am now was saying yes so much. You know, there are plenty of times that someone would ask for my help who maybe wasn't even my boss. It was someone in kind of like another department. And no matter how busy I was or like how annoying or menial the task was, I would say yes. And that kind of not only establishes, not only helps like you gain exposure, to other people, but also really like establishes this can-do attitude that you're gonna go into something with all of your heart and say yes and give it your all. Because if you can't, like, this sounds like a silly example, but like if you can't give it your all to like making copies, Mm -hmm. then like why should anyone trust you giving it your all to like making an important strategic decision? Mm -hmm. Then you get to a point where you can say no. You just need to get get to the point where you can (laughs) set boundaries. That's the, the career goal. Totally. So in terms of saying no, the secret to that is like not actually saying the word no. You kind of put the ball back in your boss's court. So if they ask you to do like task B. You go to them and say, you know, well, I'm also supposed to get C, D, and E done by Friday. So can you help me prioritize to make sure everything gets done efficiently? You can also help like shape that question by what you want to do. Like if your boss is asking you to do something that you think is really cool and you'd rather not do something else instead, shape the priority question so it better aligns with what you actually want to do. I think it's such good advice because it's not saying no, it's just like making your life manageable. Like yeah. it's not even something yeah. crazy. Like as my for. boss, this that's right. one of their responsibilities. Yeah. I think a lot of people get burned where they take on so much and then they actually can't do yeah. it or do it all well. I think it's great advice. And the thing I learned the hard way is in my, in my last job I would really I got to a point where I would never say no because I wanted to carve out this niche and work with a lot of different people. 
And if you never speak up and say, hey, this is too much, I need help, your bosses and everyone else will think you're handling it just fine and give you even more. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily a sign of weakness to say like, hey, I can't do all this. I think you need to. It's just a matter of, of what you actually say. And I think it shows good project management skills. Mm-hmm. You know, you, your boss will look at you as a good project manager if you have tasks and you prioritize them and you are trying to figure out, like, what's important and what there's time to do. I mean, you know, if you're leaving early every day and it's not getting done, that's one thing. But if you're putting in the time, then you really can have the benefit of, like, balancing and, you know, essentially pushing back. But I think the best advice is, like, what you said, never say no, just say no, but in a tricky way. Don't use the word. Yeah. <laughs> just the concept. <laughs> More often than not, we are ready to take the next step in our career before anyone gives us a promotion, offers us a new job, wants to give us a raise. How do you approach your boss to tell them that you're ready to take the next step in your career? It might be within the company or maybe you're you know, ready to move elsewhere. How do you have that conversation? You know, probably from like month two on any new job, you're thinking about the next step, especially if you're type A, but <laughs> like Julie like and I us. are. <laughs> but I think the biggest mistake people make is not having like a specific goal, a specific next step in mind, actually. Generally, I think by the time you might go to your boss, you're probably filled with some sort of like you feel entitled to something, to your next job, which I say entitled not in like a bad way, but you feel like you deserve it because you've been working really hard or Mm -hmm. you've been overworked. So, and that can come, sometimes come out as like, hey, I'm I'm ready for the next step or I'm doing X, Y, Z, but I'm not appreciated. Um, Those kind of sentiments can come out. So there's kind of like this, you know, you feel like you are entitled to something bigger and better but if you don't come with like a set of I want to be doing this or I think I have been doing this sort of work so I deserve this sort of title there's nothing your boss can really do to help you you know it's vague to say I'm ready to take the next step in my career that won't get you anywhere then you have that that you have your specific kind of set uh, role or promotion in mind but then you also need to ask you know, ask your boss, what do I need to do? Or what do you need to see from me to get me to this position? What's required of that job that I'm not doing now? You know, and then set a timeline, set a checklist for yourself, either with or without your boss. So then when eight months or whatever do actually pass, you can go back and share what you've accomplished and saying, hey, you told me I needed to be doing X, Y, and Z to get to this point. I'm now doing all of that. And that is like a much stronger argument than saying I'm ready. Right. Um, Why, are you ready? <laughs> Why are you ready? Because like that's nice, but <laughs> I'm not ready to pay you more, you know? <laughs> so you also need to kind of make it about what you can be doing, helping the company. It's not just about you. I think you also asked what if you're ready to take the step outside of the company. Mm-hmm. That can be a little trickier. It definitely depends on the type of relationship you have with your boss. I mean, I, I did this fairly recently, you know, about four months ago when I told my boss I was, I, was looking, I was taking an opportunity elsewhere. I think the key there, and this is kind of assuming you have, you've secured a job elsewhere and you're 
you're telling your company that right. you're leaving, regardless of like your experience there, how happy or not you were. A good rule of thumb is you never want to burn bridges. So when you're telling your boss, you know, you want to focus on thanking them for how much you've grown there, how much you've learned from them, but that it's time for you to take an opportunity elsewhere so you can pursue a certain skill set that perhaps you were not being offered there. And then maybe they counter. But, you know, having that kind of more like gratitude approach is the way to go and then you know you can get as honest as you want in your exit interview with (laughs) hr which is confidential (laughs) i think if you work for a human being basically that approach works so well because you know if you're a normal person and you're a manager and someone comes to you and says i want to do this and you literally can't offer them anything which is usually the case how can you be mad i mean i know it happens but like how can you be mad about them leaving if they're approaching an appropriate yeah. way. And I think that's why that approach is so good. I know I know people do, especially in media, people move jobs a lot. But like I've actually heard from a lot of friends or colleagues that like a lot of people I have felt I like have this weird sense <laughs> I say weird sense of loyalty to a company. Mm-hmm. Which obviously when you're working somewhere you should be a loyal employee. But like if it's time for you to leave, it's time for you to leave. Your company certainly does not owe you anything, and thus, like, you do not owe it anything. Like, don't go and quit in some, like, crazy fashion, but, like, don't stay there because you feel bad, or you're like, who will do my job if I'm not there? Like, they will find someone else. (laughs) You're not that special. Right. Like, if they ran out of budget, they'd let you, have to let you go. So, it is, it's really hard, and you and I both know this, like, when you, especially when you work in media, and you care about the brand, it's a little bit different, like, it's so hard to not get attached. And then you leave that first job that you've been at, and you're like, oh, that was it? Like, it's so hard to get out, and then you're like, I think a good general rule of thumb going back to what we were talking about in terms of you know having to essentially have a plan to get promoted and get Mm -hmm. a raise like you really need to be doing the job you want or maybe not need to but this is just the way it works for like six months minimum before anyone I mean no one doesn't do the job above them and then gets promoted into it it's like you're doing that job I mean I've been in positions where I've done it for six months nine months a year mm-hmm. and then eventually someone's like oh should we pay her for that okay great like and it's how long can you stick it out until you get the promotion but that's kind of it's a waiting game what you're saying like making a list tracking what you're doing and being like this is my job description and this is what I'm doing yeah. and this is the difference and like you know everyone kind of knows that game and if it doesn't happen, I'd say in six months after you've kind of talked about it, like, it's never going to, it's not going to happen. It's time for you to move on. Mm-hmm. It's a hard decision to make. Megan, you've given us a lot of very good, authentic advice about getting to the next step in our careers, which it's all been so helpful. And one really important next step in your career is asking for a raise, getting more money. So what's a way you asked for a raise that actually worked and you know was that based on time or was it based on merit and what happens if you don't get the raise how do you bounce back how do you recover from not getting it especially if you're going to stay at your job and you're just going to move forward and keep going business as usual how do you recover I'm going to address the last part of that question first (laughs) Um, do you have experience in this (laughs) That's why you're asking me, right? (laughs) From my experience. 
So if you ask for a raise and you don't get it, I think there's like this, at least for me, this like mentality of like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so awkward. Like my boss is going to be thinking, wow, we're like, remember that time she asked for a raise and didn't get it? Like weird. <laughs> but like that is not what happens. Like your boss is not going to be thinking that every day. They have more important things to be thinking about. So the decision is made and that's that. It doesn't mean the conversation is closed forever and you can't ask her a raise again. It means like you should not let that impact your relationships with other people or I mean, especially your performance. You should not like be going into it now with like some sense of feeling angry. You asked if it should be based on time or merit. Should always be on merit. In my opinion, you can kind of use time to, I think, gauge how, like, when you should be setting up these conversations. You know, you don't want to bring it up like two months into a new job. Generally, I think a good baseline is kind of a year. Minimum, right? Minimum, yeah. yeah. Uh, depending, I mean, there are obviously extenuating circumstances, but time shouldn't be like your main argument for why you deserve a raise because that ends up usually kind of sounding whiny, like, well, I've been here for two years and, you know, it sounds like you expect something, which even if that's true, you have to make it about, you said, technically what your job description says versus what you're doing. Mm -hmm. At my previous job, I kind of kept a a running Google Doc of things I did and projects I worked on, things I helped out with. So when the time came to have that conversation I could just reference that. I wouldn't have to like go back through my email and spend hours looking at all the different things that I had, you know, pitched in on. So I'd recommend that. That's kind of like the merit time question. And then, I mean, not everyone will agree with me on this, but I'm also really against taking a title change without a monetary increase attached to it. You know, I think an important, important part of going in for a raise is also knowing what the market value is for your job. So doing some research beforehand, if you have like X title or you're trying to get Y title, like look at both of those average salaries online. And if you are making below that, like that's an argument in your favor. Make sure it's, you know, in, in the city you're living in and that that can be kind of used in your in your ball court. And the last thing I'll say on this is that, you know, while we talked about like a year being a good time frame at minimum, start laying the groundwork before then. Mm-hmm. So like a few months before you actually think you're gonna ask for the raise, like go to your boss and say, like it can even be a casual conversation. What do I need to be doing to get me to the next step? So it kind of just like plants the seed right. in their head. And then when you have that conversation in a few months, it won't be like out of the clear blue sky. Yeah, that's an argument I feel like for having regular meetings with your boss, which yeah. I know not everyone does, but like if you have a weekly with your boss, when you bring up these things, it's not like this formal, you yeah. really can bring it up more naturally and, and you know, t- 10 months into your job, you can say, so how am I doing? How's my performance? And you can start, like you're saying, building an argument. I mean, you don't have to start asking for a raise at a year. It's just that you shouldn't start before. You shouldn't yeah. start before that, yeah. really. But like, I will, let's see, I'll, I'll be totally frank here because this is what this podcast is about. Yes. Um, Thank I think you. my raise well, was a little unusual because at my old job, my boss left about 
like I guess seven months mm-hmm. into Ten my working there. Too, yeah. So I took on a lot of her responsibilities and got a raise prior to a year without a title change, just with the expectation that I would be taking on some more things. So that was kind of different. And then, which actually kind of put me in like a weird position because then it's like, okay, do I wait a year from then to ask for another raise? Which ended up being like kind of the case. So my first like official promotion and big raise was about like a year and a half into working there. I, I think also in terms of the title, what I think is interesting, I completely agree that like if you get the title change and you don't get the money, you're never getting the money. Like that's just, you're never getting it. But this could be controversial advice. Ooh. I know. Thank you. It's very exciting. We go, we go, we go deep here. If you're thinking about leaving and you really don't think you're going to get a promotion ever, the title change might help you get a better job elsewhere. So, like, if you're thinking that's about making true. a move and you're just like, you're going to leave. I mean, don't take the title change if you think that's your growth. It's not going to be your growth. You're not going to grow at the company. You're yeah. not going to get the money. It's happened to me. I mean, I can say it. it's happened to me. I've had yeah. amazing title changes that the money never, ever, ever came. I didn't wait long enough to see if it would come in years and years, but it didn't come it's after like a long time. It's like a company's way of, like, make, trying to make you happy right. for a little bit. Just, like, shut up for a second yeah. and, like, yeah. <laughs> just be quiet and stop whining about your promotion. That's kind of the message. But if you're, like, I want to make a move in the next six months or even a year and you like your job enough, the title ch- – and you don't – and you know you're going to move, again, because you're not going to get more money at that company in any convenient time, most likely – you can have that title on your resume. You can put it on your LinkedIn. It could help yeah, you get better opportunities, right? Like all of this could be better negotiating power. Exactly. I mean, all of this could obviously backfire because you never know when you're going to be able to leave. There's so the disclaimer <laughs> on this um, coffee talk podcast. Don't call me if you don't. You get need it. to add that into the intro. This is the disclaimer. the disclaimer. But I think it's really it's it's hard. It really is like a game, and I think what you're saying is all so true and like realistic. It's really realistic. And that would be, like, the only situation maybe yeah. you should take it. But otherwise, you're 100% right. Like, the title change is a trick. That's mm-hmm. a trick that corporations mm-hmm. have built. Pro tip. <laughs> I don't want anyone coming to get me because of the secrets. <laughs> the corporate secrets. Were I don't changed. know if this is a secret, but... <laughs> so our guests are all women who work in communications, who have really worked hard, excelled their career, and... You know, you have changed jobs recently, so you have interviewed, but you have also interviewed people and asked them questions. And what we love to bring is these classically annoying interview questions. So these questions that you're always told to prepare for interviews, and usually they have like nothing to do with the job or how successful you'll be at the job. So we want you to answer some of these tricky, classically annoying interview questions that you've definitely asked candidates. And you've probably prepared, even for the interview at your last job, you probably prepared for them. What's your biggest weakness? I work too hard <laughs> and I care too much. <laughs> so good. Oh my God. I was very excited to say that because it's a Michael Scott answer for all of you Office fans. <laughs> it's so good. It's exact, like, that's exactly what you're supposed I actually, to prepare. I actually would just say that with a straight face. <laughs> if they don't laugh, you don't. You shouldn't be at that company. <laughs> it's a good tactic to say, I um, work too hard. I'm too organized. That's my, that's my weakness. I love my coworkers too much. Wait, so do you want me to answer what I what I would actually say to this? Yeah, what would you actually say so to this? My, so what, what I've said before is that I spend too much time on little details that 
aren't as important in the bigger scheme of things. And that is one thing that I've actually been like working on throughout my career is when to just really like let certain things go because it's not, does not come naturally to me. So that, that is what I've said before at job interviews. I think it's kind of like a shitty question because companies know you've probably prepared some <laughs> perfectly trimmed anecdote that you say to everyone but that isn't really like authentic to who you are because no one's probably going to say they're like true weakness. Right. It's so, it's so, that's why they're so annoying because it's like, what's your real weakness? Well, I have a drinking problem <laughs> and I'm hungover every day at work. Like, obviously you're not going to say that. That's not me, guys. Right. Oh, oh. That's not me. But um, it's really, that's why they're so funny and why we love to ask our guests these because it's like, everyone's asking these, but when you actually get asked them after you're working for a few years, yeah. you're like, what? why would I even ask that? I guess a better approach is to not like, is to have an anecdote. Yeah, yeah, So totally. maybe not, like, name your weakness, but, like, turn that question into an example of a time that, like, you failed and recovered or something. Yeah, that's great. I think it's really, really good. Because everyone answers the same thing. Like, oh, I'm too organized. Oh, I work too hard. I work too late. Yeah. Like, it would be funny, though, to just, like, really share what's a weak... Like, what I'm trying to think of a weakness I could share that would just be so, like... I eat too much chocolate. (laughs) It's not even relevant. Like, that's just... Will that hurt my chances? Will that hurt my chances? I'm over-caffeinated. I set seven alarms in the morning. (laughs) You want to see? Show show them all on your iPhone. So another good one that I also think is kind of funny, because when you're applying for a job, you're like, I don't even know what tomorrow is going to look like. But where do you see yourself in five years from now? Oof. I think it's actually oof was actually my response <laughs> when I did get asked this question. This job that I have now did certainly not exist five years ago, so I don't think the job I have in five years will probably exist now. I do see, like, in terms of a bigger picture, I do see myself running my own company one day. I don't know if that's five years down the line or ten years down the line, but I do have that, like, entrepreneurial bug. That's great. I think that's a really good answer, actually. But the, the answer I love that I would give as a tip is like there are jobs that don't exist yet like I think that would be a fun a great answer for someone to say that like there are jobs that don't exist yet I don't know especially if you work in digital like online then absolutely I think that like I hope I'm doing a job that doesn't exist yet in five years because that means I'm ahead of the curve like five years ago who even knew what any you know any of this stuff was going to be and there was no such thing as like snapchat editor (laughs) Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> Snapchat editor? Yeah, Is that what which they call actually, them? we, so at Mashable, we were, I think, one of the first companies to hire someone to work solely on Snapchat. And this was, I think, I think it was like 2013. Oh my God, early. Yeah, it was early days. Maybe maybe 2014. I think it was 2013. And like, we got kind of like made fun of by other companies for hiring a Snapchat person. And now like everyone is doing it. Now it's a real, that's so, a job. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly, though, like, I, I do think, like, as much as, like, oh, that sounds cool to be, like, you're a Snapchat editor, like, that doesn't just mean, like, you're on Snapchat with right. your friends all day. Like, these traditional skills are still valuable and still the basis of a lot of these new jobs. So, like, people who do Facebook Live and, like, Snapchat stories, like, have like video editing training right. and film training like a lot of them come from tradition traditional outlets so i th- i don't want to like make light of those positions by making it sound like oh they're just like 
silly, like you still need a lot of tradition. You still need traditional skills to get you to those places. And that's what's happening. I mean, I think across social media, like because they're taken so seriously and because those tools are so important, especially to media outlets, like those are journalists. Like, they're different kinds of journalists, but they're journalists who, like, are creating content for just different media. And on the flip side of that, like, Snapchat may not be around in two years, so you still need a core set of skills that you can apply elsewhere. What's on your, what does your resume say? It's not going to say, like, you know, great at selfies. (laughs) Don't put that on your resume. Since we're talking about interview questions, one thing we love to do is ask our guests interview questions from big companies so a lot of big companies now in their interview process are asking all kinds of crazy out-of-the-box questions that who knows what the answer is supposed to be is there a right answer probably they're looking for something specific when they're asking these questions whether it's creativity or maybe a specific answer but the question for you megan today is a question that google asks when they're interviewing people so when you're going for an interview at google you may be asked this question which is if you could only choose one song to play every time you walked into a room for the rest of your life what would it be upgrade you by beyonce amazing perfect <laughs> perfect Right? Like, I don't even, I'm so good. I mean, it's the first thing that popped into my head, so there it is. But that's it. Before we wrap up this episode of our podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to kind of share something with us that no one ever asks you. What is the question when you do panels, when you do interviews, when you meet with mentees or you have, you know, informational coffees? What is the question that no one ever asks you that you would want to share with the podcast audience? I love this question. I know failure is really hot right now. Like, you know, you hear all these tech companies have signs around their offices saying things like fail fast, uh, which is good. But I think it can be particularly hard for women, or at least it was and is for me, to kind of separate professional failures and rejection. And it's really important for success to emotionally separate the two. Because I think that's a really important thing for women to constantly be conscious of and like actively, the more you actively work towards that, the more natural it will become. That's such good advice. Failure is so hot right now. I like want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Failure. <laughs> it is. so hot right now. Like, but it's great true. news for, like, high school students. <laughs> the, the biggest trend is failure, not success. Just in general, separating professional from personal. Like, yeah. we, we could not talk about that enough. I feel like we don't. I mean, that could be panels and mm-hmm. speeches and, you know, just that's the most, I would say it's the most hard lesson to learn. I even found myself today saying to someone, like, nothing here in the business is personal like and I don't how I might why do I have to say that but you do um I think also I mean it's amazing to talk about failure and like I wish there was like almost another word for it because I do think it's like failure seems so like career ending yeah like to fail is like the worst thing you could do but I mean how many lessons have you learned how many you know companies like you are saying how many companies have been successful because they failed so many times to fake you gotta figure it out yeah it's not just in this industry it's every industry like in medicine it's horrible but how many times are they failing like mm-hmm. to figure it out and the more you fail the more you become familiar with the idea of failure and i think the less like scary and career ending it yeah. becomes yeah 
Well, it's even like something as small as throwing out an idea in the meeting. Like I think that's the best example. Mm-hmm. Like when you start a new job, you like don't want to have a bad idea, so you like won't yeah. say anything, and then eventually you're just like saying whatever's on the top of your mind because you know the more ideas that you say, like every ten, maybe one will be yep. a hit. So, and that one hit is the thing that people remember, not your nine copy ones. So. <laughs> Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. Let's just say hopefully. We'll leave it at that. Megan, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your career advice with us. I learned a lot, and I'm sure the listeners did too. So where can we find you online? Where can we follow you and keep up with what you're doing? You can definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm at mhess4, mhess4. And I also, kind of my side hustle is this blog that I started called No Joe Schmo, which is nojoeschmo.com, which is where I interview people with kind of cool and crazy jobs. So if you ever have ideas for people to be featured there, shoot me a line. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producers... Kylie Harris, Chelsea Orcutt, and Chrisanne Grizet. Our editors, Aaron Mathewson and Chelsea Orcutt. Rachel Bowie manages marketing. Alex Fetter wrote the theme. Additional recording and editing has been done at Stoosh Studios with the help of Steve Francis. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser-Ilkovich. Thank you for listening.